You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, it's such a good song by the choir that leads us into where we're going to be today in our book, in our series in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning. I'm going to start off by asking a question. When things don't go as planned, or we don't get what we want, how do we respond? You see, I think it's easy for me to think of that from a perspective of a father to his children, because I see that often. I've got five children at home, and when things don't go as planned, all bets are off. And it feels like the whole point of, of growing and shaping their little hearts in life is helping them see that what they really want is not what they really want. As their father, I see a bigger picture that sometimes they don't always see. Not always getting their way, temper tantrums. Again, it's getting easier because they're getting older, so hopefully you know, the, they're out of the, most of them are out of the toddler stage except for my little guy. But even for me, I think back to when I was a child. I remember Christmas time. I remember getting my hopes set on exactly what I thought I was going to get just to find out I didn't get it. And it was always like a year or two later that, the got, that I got the thing that I really wanted. But with that, right, we are not that much different as adults. We learn that things don't always go our way. We can't always get what we want. And as adults, we get older, we get more mature, we get better at masking our feelings. We even get cynical. We learn to adjust our expectations. Uh, We desire to learn patience and flexibility and resilience. But those things are really hard. And if we're being honest, we're coming up on the three-year anniversary of, of the pandemic. And these last three years for all of us have all been, all been about adjusting our expectations. The things that we thought were going to happen are the things that did not happen. They didn't go as planned. You see, if we're not careful, this cynical or negative posture can creep in and skew our view of God. can skew our view of His goodness can cause us to doubt his goodness or his sovereignty. Doubt that he's even in control. See, this morning I want us to realize that whatever happens, whatever the outcome, that every day, every day and every situation of life that you go through is an opportunity to grow our faith. I think back to a story in Luke chapter 8 with Jesus and the disciples. And this is probably one of my favorite passages in the scriptures to, to remind my heart of the fact that God is in control. And in this story, you see Jesus with the disciples, and he sets out across the Sea of Galilee onto this boat. They were just with the crowds. And on the Sea of Galilee, the winds could come across over the mountains and create a storm just like that. And what happens in this story is you see the the winds blowing and the seas raging and their boat being tossed to and fro. And Jesus is over in the side of the boat sleeping. The disciples cry out to Jesus, Master, do you not see what's going on? 
Help us! We're in danger! They were probably screaming and yelling. They're freaking out. Jesus was asleep on the boat. So they woke Jesus up, and at that moment, He spoke with power with His words and rebuked the storm. He calmed the seas. The waves and the winds ceased. All was well with the disciples and Jesus. Then Jesus turns to them and says, where is your faith? You see, I love that story because it's a great reminder to us that in the storms of life, not if they come, but when they come, Jesus is there with us in the boat. And sometimes it feels like He's asleep in the boat. But He's with us. He is present. And Jesus has all authority over creation. And by the power of His words, He can can calm the raging seas. And in that story, He did. But what if He hadn't? What if the storm got worse? What if the boat capsized and all of the disciples drowned? It's crazy to think of it that way. It didn't happen that way because it's not in Scripture. But many of you are in that similar situation. You're feeling like that in your own life. Think about the last time you prayed specifically for God to do something in your life, to show up, to come through for you. Maybe you've been praying for this for a long time. And it seems like Jesus is sleeping. seems like He doesn't hear. And it seems like the opposite of exactly what you're praying for is what He does. Students, maybe it's you this morning. Maybe you prayed to make a, a, an audition or a sports team or a, or, or a role in, in, in a play or something like that. You worked really hard at it and you come to find out you didn't get it. Maybe somebody else sitting in here, you've been praying so hard to get a specific job that you're qualified for, only to find out you got denied. Maybe you're sitting in here as a family member and you know a a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, maybe even one of your own children, that you've been praying for their salvation, that they're living a life far from God, and you've been praying that God would get a hold of their heart, and it doesn't seem like that will ever happen. Maybe you've been in here and and, and you're married and you're like, you know, we want to start a family. You've been praying that God will allow you to have a child and you're struggling through the process of getting pregnant. Or maybe worse, maybe, maybe you have been pregnant and you lost a child and you're sitting here and you're grieving and looking and crying out to God, God, where are you? And lastly, maybe you're sitting here and you're praying specifically for healing for a disease. Maybe the cancer came back. Maybe you were praying for a family member that you knew God was going to help come through. All to to find out that that it didn't go the way that you had hoped. You would prayed for this. It didn't turn out the way that you expected. You see, how we respond when things don't go our way, when the way that, that we hope for, the way that we expect, they don't turn out that way, shows where our faith is. It shows us what we're believing about God. It shows us what we're believing about ourselves. And it shows us whether or not what we're believing has the power to deliver us or not. You see, that's exactly where we're going this morning in the section of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was crying out to God, and God did the unexpected. We're going to look at God's response today in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, You can get your Bibles. There's one in the seat back ahead of you. You can flip there on your phone, or you can also look 
here at the screens here in a moment. This is our third week in the book of Habakkuk. And like we've said, this prophet is a little unique. And a lot of these events in the book of Habakkuk are pretty difficult to wrap our minds around. You see, this prophet talks to people. Um, no, typically, prophets talk to people about God, but here Habakkuk is talking to God about people. Usually, prophets make a declaration to a, a, a people or a nation, but here, the prophet Habakkuk is making a cry out to God about the people, uh, and, and he's dialoguing with God about the people that he is surrounded with in his nation. He's crying out in frustration and confusion. He's saying, Look, God, do you not see what's going on? Are you going to do something about this? There's, there's people here in the southern kingdom of Judah. They're living in turmoil. They're, they're living far from you. They're worshiping other gods. Are you not going to do something about this? Do you not care? You see, we've all been there asking questions of God. Why? And last week, Pastor Micah led us through uh, that these questions are not necessarily a bad thing. These questions or doubts don't necessarily mean that we lack faith. But rather, it can represent a desire to know truth more deeply. See, we were also encouraged last week to not go silent on God. He's big enough to handle all the questions that we have. All the complaints that we have, we can bring them to God. And one of the themes that we've seen throughout this series, I'm going to put it up here on the screen and we can read it uh, together, that God is God and God is good no matter what. We're going to see that theme throughout the book of Habakkuk, and that is also what we're going to see this morning. You see, when Habakkuk cries out and he questions God, I don't know if he was fully prepared to hear what God had to say. You think, you know, I, as I think about this, I think that Habakkuk was hoping that God would say, hey, I have a better way. I'm going to send revival. I'm going to raise up a king similar to what I did with Josiah that is going to, he's going to face uh, the wicked king there in, in the southern kingdom and, and he's going to cause him to repent and uh, all the people are going to repent and they're going to turn to me and, and I'm going to bless you and your nation. You see, I think Habakkuk was hoping for that. But what God gives was something totally different than that response. God's answer to Habakkuk's complaint is not reformation, but destruction. Today we're going to look at Habakkuk, and we're going to be faced with some challenging questions about the nature of God's justice, the problem of evil in the world. Why would a loving God allow evil and suffering in the world? And why would he use the wicked nation to, to wipe out God's people? You see, those are all challenging questions that, if we're sitting here today, uh, are hard to wrap our mind around. So that's where we're going to be uh, this morning in chapter 1. So if you would, if you would stand, if you're able, uh, we're going to read together. I'm going to read together uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, and I'm going to catch us up on the first four verses that we addressed last week, and then we're going to see the key part of our text this morning in 5 through 11. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11 says, The oracle that, the Habakkuk, that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. 
so that the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. From the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. This is God's response here. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come with violence and their faces forward and they gather captives like sand. At the kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Let me pray. Father, as we read passages like this, if we're honest, there's sometimes challenges that we're faced with, how to wrap our minds around how you, how you work your plan in the world, God. But Father, as we look further into this passage and unpack it together, help us just to have confidence that as we pray to you and we, we look to things in this world, we look to you for things in this world, we can trust the fact that you are good and that you are God, no matter what. Father, help us this morning to better understand who you are and how to live because of that. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this morning, we're going to unpack God's response to Habakkuk. We just read it, and uh, we're going to see two parts of this text. Then, my goal is that that I'll give you four truths That will help us to see God rightly and to live obediently because of that. So the first thing we see this morning in verse 5 is God's answer. God's answer. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And you know what's interesting is in in verse 5, God says, look and see wonder and be astounded. He uses four verbs there. And if you go back to verse 3, Habakkuk's cry out to God was that, why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look idly at sin? So he's even using the same verbs that Habakkuk is using here as almost almost asking a bigger question of saying, hey, the question you're asking me is just too small. You don't see the way that I see. God is revealing to Habakkuk that he's not been inactive. He's taking this seriously, more seriously than he could ever know. See, Habakkuk was looking at a solution from his, uh, from his infinite, I mean, from his finite lens um, as, as a human. But God was inviting him to see from his perspective. Habakkuk begins with a domestic problem, like, look around me, my nation, my people, your people, God, are, are living in sin. And what God tells him to do is look beyond his nation to an international problem, the things that he is doing in the world. God says you would not believe it even if you were told. 
God says this situation is going to get worse. Judah is corrupt, but Babylon's even worse. Just look and see. You see, time would tell that, that God would use this evil nation to come in and judge His people there in Judah. And as I read this week, it's, it was about eight years between uh, this conversation that Habakkuk had with God and the, uh, the time where the fall of Jerusalem happened. And in the original language, when God says this, uh, you would not believe if you were told is plural. So it's translated. He's not, he, he is speaking to Habakkuk, but it's, it's something that, that God desired for him to take back um, to relate to a wider audience that the whole nation would hear this response. He says, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. So what God's saying is expect the unexpected. You see, it's important for us to remind ourselves in this. We see that, that God says that I am doing a work. We remind ourselves that God is doing a work, that He is working His plan. As we learned last week, that God is working to eradicate sin and restore hope. God is working to eradicate sin and restore hope. And that reminder for us that He's also doing that in His timeline. And His timeline is not always our timeline. You know, we sing songs in here in our worship service. Um, I'm reminded of the song Waymaker. Part of the lyric says, Even when I don't see it, you're working. That God is working His plan. He never stops working. God said you would not believe it if told. But see, I'm reminded that this shouldn't have been a surprise to Habakkuk. I guess it's somewhat surprising because he expected a different outcome. But God, through the Old Testament, said to, uh, said to Moses and made a covenant with his people. And um, back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm going to read this for us. But God makes a covenant with his, nation, with, his, with his people. And he said, look, I'm going to protect you and bless you. And as long as you follow after me, as long as, as I am the Lord your God, as long as you follow after me, there will be blessings. And if not, there will be curses. So this warning that, that God gave hundreds of years earlier should have also resonated with Habakkuk. That when he looked around and saw the nations not following after God, he should have known. It shouldn't have surprised him that much. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 45, it says, All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till they are destroyed. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. And they shall be a sign, uh, and they shall be a sign and wonder against you and for your offspring forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall, you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness, lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron around your neck, and he will destroy you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat of the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of the ground until you are destroyed. It, is also, uh, it also shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil. Increase your herds from the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. 
They shall besiege you in all of your towns until the high and fortified walls in which you have trusted come down throughout the land. So that's in Deuteronomy. When God promises and makes a covenant with Moses, and Moses then casts this and passes this on to his people and says, hey, if we follow after God, there's going to be blessings. And if we don't, just know that God is going to punish sin. I think sometimes we, we, we get tripped up with how God chooses to punish sin. Like we said earlier, God does not always do what we expect. Things may, be, may appear terrible uh, at face value from our vantage point, but ultimately God is working to make all things right. And we can trust God that he's restoring all brokenness unto himself, and he will one day make everything right. See, I'm reminded of the story of, of Joseph in Genesis. And you can read that story. It's, it's in Genesis 39, pretty much through the end of the book. Um, and the story of Joseph, and he was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And um, his, his brothers conspired against him because he could interpret dreams. And they, 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 they were going to try to kill him, and they sold him into slavery. And um, he goes off, and he's working hard and... and making a name for himself, essentially, with, with the people. And, and, and what happens in that story is, is, is evil came creeping at his door. That, that Potiphar's wife right, tried to catch him in a lie. He was thrown in a dungeon. Um, starts interpreting dreams for people in the dungeon. And God provides a way out for him. He's able to, to meet with Pharaoh and interpret Pharaoh's dream of saying there's going to be seven years of, of plenty and seven years of famine, that God would use the events in Joseph's life to essentially be a picture of like the things that man meant for evil, I, your God, meant for good. And see, sometimes we can't wrap our minds around that, that God is working his plan. So we see God's answer in verse 5, and then we're going to read again, we're going to unpack a little bit from 6 through 11. We see God's method says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the bitter and hasty nation whose march, who march through in the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. So God drops this bomb on them. He says, Behold, I am raising up this nation. The Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, your translation may say the Babylonians. They're an evil and wicked nation to judge the unrighteousness of the people in Judah. So right now, Habakkuk's struggling with a few problems, a few theological problems. Why would a loving God allow evil and suffering in the world? And the second problem is, how could a loving God right, be sovereign over the sinful acts of man and allow a wicked people to come in and, and judge and wipe out his chosen people? You see, these are complex questions that have been debated by theologians and philosophers for century, and I hope to shed some light on those this morning, um, but hopefully as you ask those same questions, what happens in your spirit is you, you press into a God who knows you and loves you and sees you. So the description of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, like I said, some translations use both of these words interchangeably, but they were two different groups of people who lived in ancient Mesopotamia near Babylon. Um, and, and some of their people groups overlapped with each other. We're familiar in history with the rise of the Babylonian Empire, possibly. But the Chaldeans were the ones that were known for their military prowess. 
And under King Nabopolassar, who was the father of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, they rose to power and eventually overthrew Babylon in 7th century B.C. They established the, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. So when you, you think of the Chaldeans, just think of the Babylonians, but the military side of them. God responds with a very detailed description of who these people were. Habakkuk was accusing God and saying, God, you don't see what's going on. You're missing what's going on. And God gives a detailed description of how he's going to judge this nation. You see, the picture that God points of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians show us how seriously that God is taking the sin in Judah. In verse 6, he describes the Babylonians as a bitter and hasty nation, that they were ruthless, driven by cruelty and hatred. It says they marched to the depths of the earth, roam far and wide, and take ownership over everything uh, of things that, that were not their own. Verse 7 says that they were dreaded and fearsome. You see, Judah was a people who had become complacent and indifferent to the things of God. They didn't fear God, and now God was going to use a people that they feared to judge them. Verse 8, we see the comparisons here of, of animals, horses that are swifter than leopards, um, wolves fiercer, um, uh, fiercer than wolves at, at, at dusk, eagle, swift, uh, swooping in swift like eagles, and this is all speaking of their military prowess and their military might. Verse 9 says they come for violence. There's no mercy in them. In the same way, uh, these, these Babylonians, they take captive the things that are not their own. And it says they gather their captives like sand. Ironically, probably echoing the promise that God made to Abraham about his descendants will be like the sand on the seashores. Verse 10 says they, uh, that at, the, at kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. And once the Babylonians had defeated the Assyrians in Nineveh in 612 B.C. and the Egyptians in Carchemish, nobody could stop them. They were unbeatable. They essentially had uh, stopped all trade routes and open fields and, and they, they, they planted themselves as, as a people um, that would mock other nations because of this. So kingdoms and armies uh, were afraid of them, and it was almost a game to them. Verse 11 says, they swept in like the wind. They were guilty men whose might was their God. They were lawless. They were self-sufficient. They were prideful. They were arrogant. You see, these ruthless Babylonians or Chaldeans, it was only an intermediate solution. It was a temporary solution to the problem of injustice in the world. Even though, even though they were God's method uh, of judging the sin of Judah, he would ultimately judge them for their wickedness as well. Ultimately, they would be destroyed. And we're going to see that in the weeks ahead in this series. So this morning, I want us to see four truths from this text that I believe will help us to see God rightly and to help us live obediently. See, the first thing I want us to see is to recognize that sin always has consequences. Recognize that sin always has consequences. See, God ultimately is punishing sin according to his plan. And because of our sin, there are, there are consequences. We know this. 
There's guilt, there's shame, there's relational tensions, there's social tensions, sometimes legal consequences for sin or physical consequences for sin. We see from the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden that after man sinned, right, man, man and woman sinned, we, we ate of the fruit. We lived in, in shame because of our sin. And God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden essentially as a, as a picture of his grace, giving them coverings to cover their nakedness and their shame. And kicking them out of the garden as a, as a symbol of saying, hey, rather than living in your sin forever, I'm going to allow you to die. Part of my judgment to you is that now you will not live forever. You see, God is working to eradicate sin and restore hope. It shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us that God chooses to judge sin the way that he does. The second thing I want us to see this morning is that we can trust God's sovereignty. Trust God's sovereignty. We've been saying this throughout the series, that God is God and God is good no matter what. See, when we look around, despite the evil and chaos and justice within our world, we can be reminded that God is God, and God is good, no matter what. Habakkuk's reminding us that God's in control, and his plan will always be fulfilled. We can trust that his greater purpose is being worked out for his good and his glory. We're reminded of, of a text that probably many of us have heard or, or we know or sometimes we even twist. Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for the good to, of them that love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And a lot of times I think we look at that text and we say that God's working things for my good. Um, ultimately, God is working for his good and his glory. And sometimes that means our good. Sometimes it doesn't. But ultimately, we can trust God's sovereignty. And as we do that, it's a matter of faith. We'll look in the next week or two at Habakkuk 2.4. One of the famous verses in Habakkuk, it says, The righteous shall live by his faith. It says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Choosing to focus on God's promise over the problem is a, a step of faithfulness. By doing that, it, it requires for us to spend some time with Jesus, spend time in his word, get to know who he is, spend time with other believers like this, maybe a community group, maybe a Sunday morning study group. As we surround ourselves with who God is, we press into him, we start to understand who he is a little bit better. It helps to change our perspective that sometimes what we're seeing is very limited that we don't always see the way God sees. That God's mission for you is bigger than what you're going through in the moment. You see, I'm reminded of a song that I heard growing up in church. My dad was a music pastor, so we, we had all kinds of different variations of music growing up. And um, the song was, it's called Trust His Heart. It says, God is too good to be unkind and too wise to be mistaken. When we can't trace his hand, we can trust his heart. Let that be a reminder to you and me this morning. In times where you're confused and you're struggling with how things work together, when you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. And that song is actually written um, and adopted from a quote from Charles Spurgeon in the sermon, A Happy Christian. He says it like this. He believes him to be wise 
He who believes him to be wise, to err, and too good to be unkind. He's trusting where he cannot tra- he trusts him where he cannot trace him. Look up to him in the darkest hour and believes that all is well. When you can't trust his hand, I mean when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. The third thing I want us to see this morning is seeking to understand or to seek to understand God's character. You see, as we recognize who God is and what he's done, sometimes those things are not always clear to us. We need others around us to speak into us, to help us to see God's perspective. But his word also points us to this. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, God says this through the prophet Isaiah, that God's ways are, are higher than ours, that, that sometimes we don't see God's perspective, that we can seek to understand who he is. I love what it says in Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. It says, Oh, the depth and the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? You see, I think what, what's awesome to see here, well, I'll read 36 as well. For, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You see, to me, that's one of those passages that after you read um, Romans chapter 7, you see this this struggle that the Apostle Paul has about, you know, the things I want to do or those are the things I'm not doing. Um, and you, you, you read Romans chapter 8, you read Romans chapter 9, you see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and how those things harmonize together. It ultimately lands with Romans 11, talking about for who can know the mind of God. Walking by faith is somewhat of a mystery that we trust each day a God who is sovereign over all of it. Seek to understand God's character. We focus on who he is. The fact that he's a loving God. That he's a good God. He's faithful. And as we pursue him, we will know him more. The more we know him, the more we trust him. And the more we trust him, the more we serve him. And one of those songs that we used to sing in my church growing up. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. That's a great truth for us this morning, church. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven. My heart overflows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. As we press into Jesus, as we press into God, his character, and understand who he is, he reveals himself to us. And we can trust that he is good. I love how author and theologian R.C. Sproul says it. He says, God is love and his character cannot be divorced from his actions. For what he does flows from who he is. To truly know God, we must seek to understand his character, which is revealed through his word and his works. You see, church, I think what we need to do this morning is is how God responded. He gives those four verbs. Look, see, wonder, and be astounded. As we look at who God is, as we see, as we wonder, as we're astounded of who God is, What happens in us is worship. Lastly, the thing I want us to see 
the, the last truth and, and the step of obedience is to rest in the perfect work of Jesus. See, I believe everything in, in Scripture points to Jesus. The injustice and the suffering uh, in this passage remind us as followers of Jesus of the afflictions that Jesus went through for you and for me. Habakkuk's questions to God about his goodness in the face of injustice are really a shadow of pointing us to the cross where a truly perfect good person suffered for the sins of the world. You see, it reminds us that God has triumphed over sin once and for all. He's defeated death and hell and Satan in the grave. That He rules and reigns and He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And this morning, church, we can look to Jesus as the one who is the picture who defeated all evil and all unrighteousness. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is a pretty clear picture of the Gospel. It says, For our sake He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, it's only in Christ that we have a righteousness that we can live by faith. It's only in Christ that we can rejoice, just like Habakkuk's final words. If you've read ahead in, in the book, he doesn't continue to complain. He ends with this posture of prayer and worship because what he knows is a, is a God who loves and serves uh, and is sovereign over all. You see, as we continue to look in Habakkuk over the next few weeks, next week we'll see Habakkuk's second complaint to God. We'll see this dialogue. We'll see this exchange. But I want to encourage you to reflect on, on this passage today, what we've seen Trust God's sovereignty. Look at the sin in our own lives and realize that we have a God who will punish sin. Today we can repent and turn from that sin and turn to Jesus and we can trust Him because He is good. And then we can also look around us to the world, the evil, the brokenness, the pain that we see. We can help encourage people to understand that this is not all that there is. Right? As we look around and see the evil and destruction around us, we don't have to hang our, our heads in despair, but we can rest in the fact that we have hope in Jesus. This morning, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage us as we look at passages like this and we wrap our minds around who God is, that we can trust Him, that God is God and God is good no matter what. Let me pray for our time this morning together. Father, we thank You for your word. Father, as we wrestle through passages like this and we look around the world and we don't understand what you're doing, it seems very simple or simplistic to call our hearts to believe that you are good and that you are enough. But Father, in doing that, we take, we take a step of faith. We trust that you continue to reveal yourself to us, to show us who you are, to show us that you love us, that what you desire for us is to understand your plan for the world. To take this message of hope and to proclaim it and demonstrate it by how we live our lives. So Father, help us this morning to understand that you take sin seriously. That you have defeated Satan and death and hell and the grave once and for all. And today we can be made right with you. We can live at peace with you. 
Father, I pray as we continue in our time of worship together this morning that you'll just allow us to reflect on who you are and what you've done. We love you. We thank you so much for who you are. We pray these things in your strong name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.